Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. It's already done. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, hello and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little. And as you know, for the month, we have been talking about the prison system. And so, man, this time always goes by really, really fast. Um, I definitely want to give um, just a shout out and a thank you to both of my co-hosts, Mr. Bingsley, as well as Minister Walden, um, I, I appreciate you guys not counting this time as robbery. Um, you know, you both work all day, and then you come and jump on with me on Tuesdays. And so I don't take it lightly. Um, I appreciate every bit of information that you guys have given, and I appreciate the work that you both are doing in the community. Um, so with that, we're going to jump in today. Even though we are going to talk about probation and parole, but um Minister Denise, we're going to talk about um, the qualified immunity a little bit. So I'm going to give you the opportunity um, to go ahead and to break that down, explain it, um, and then let's let's open it up a little bit. Blessings. Thank you. And um, Tyra wanted to say thank you for providing a platform and a space for these very much-needed conversations. It's been an honor and a privilege to serve by being part of this. So I appreciate you creating that space. And for time's sake, we're going to go ahead and just jump right in. And so um, for folks in New York State and for other municipalities just wanting to educate people on qualified immunity. So what happens with qualified immunity is if there has been an offense um, to a civilian by an elected or government official, including corrections officers and police officers, elected officials, um, when you go to bring a civil suit, which a lot of times is our only way of truly holding them accountable for their misconduct against them, it gets very difficult because they can plead qualified immunity, uh, meaning if there are no other identical civil cases, um, and I know in New York State they're fighting to make it Supreme Court cases, then there's no precedent for your civil suit, and therefore it pretty much just gets dismissed. And so in New York State, we're fighting to end qualified immunity so that families um, can get justice for the misconduct that we see coming out of law enforcement, Department of Corrections, and other 
government offices are included in that, but for our focus, it's law enforcement and corrections officers. And how this plays, Tyra, right into um, parole and probation, there are times where folks have been released and they're currently on probation or parole, but they've still been subject to a gross misconduct or injustice while incarcerated. And so, again, one of the only things that they have to hold these individuals accountable is a civil suit. And so we want, um, and it should be where people can, civilians can hold these government officials and employees accountable when they've done something wrong or unjust. And so we want to make sure that municipalities are looking at ending qualified immunity. And if you're in the New York area, reach out to us and get involved in this campaign because it's certainly an important one. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, James, I, I know you have something to add to that. <laughs> uh, well, qualified immunity, I'm, I'm very familiar with that term. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is something that protects law enforcement officers, supposedly, and government officials from misconduct and, and, and protect their private assets. That's really what it's mm-hmm. about. You know, so someone can't mm-hmm. you know, come up with them personally, uh, personal suits. And, and, and it's supposedly uh, was something to protect them if they were following policy. You know, someone said, hey, right. I was expected to do that. I was given orders to do that. And this is why I, you know, performed in that manner. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's, a, it's a very touchy thing when it comes to uh, protecting of one's personal assets or giving certain orders. So I... I understand the truth. I truly do. Right. Right. I mean, and, and I totally get it, um, you know, because it goes back to how when people do LLCs with their businesses, it's actually to protect their personal assets. But when you are acting in a manner in which you feel like the law is yours and you get to manipulate it the way that you should, then I wholeheartedly agree. Um, something has to be done. Some, something definitely has to be done. Um, so with that, I want to roll into, we want to talk about probation and parole, um, that system. You know, when I think about it and how a person has actually served their time and then they get out and now they're held to, um, a different standard where they're on, um, parole, but however, um, they can be violated, you know, say for instance, um, I want to talk about the the money side of it, where they have to pay this money. And you think about it, you're getting out of jail, you already have all of these other obstacles in place as far as with finding a job. Some people are able to walk right into a job, some are not. But I kind of feel like it's a a double-edged sword um, because you did your time and now you're still held to now paying it. And if you don't have the money to pay it, now you're you're violated. So I know you can speak on this. This this hey, this this is what you do every day. This is this is um a part of your job. You can you can enlighten us a lot more in explaining you know the process to us. So I'm gonna hand hand the mic over to you. All right, sure. Let's uh, do with South Carolina because that's the, the state I'm in. Uh, South right. Carolina, you know, uh, requires you to pay a fifty dollar a month. Supervision fee for anyone under supervision for probation or parole. Uh, of course, let's distinguish the two differences. You know, probation is, is, a, is a sentence that is deferred uh, on a suspended part of your sentence where you're not incarcerated at any point. You're just 
uh, ordered to be supervised for a certain amount of years. The maximum amount of years that you can be placed on probation in South Carolina is five years. That's, that's the max. Uh, parole is when you're released early from prison and you have to uh, uh, complete the remainder part of your sentence supervised by the state of South Carolina. Well, the fees actually in regards to the probation portion of it is basically an agreement between the solicitor's office and your attorney, sometimes which is the public defender. And I know how people feel about public defenders. But it's an agreement to avoid uh, prison time. Um, the state of South Carolina has... Let me see, I think maybe four law enforcement divisions. There's the SLED, South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, DNR, uh, Department of Natural Resources, the Higher Patrol, and Probation and Parole. Um, out of the four law enforcement divisions, we are the only one that produces income for the state without having the right tickets. So it, it, it's, it, it, in some aspects, it brings in revenue for the state. And it also, how they justify it, it said it, it allows the individual to remain in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're saying remain in the community, but I believe it's more so remain in the system. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a way to keep you in the system. It's, it's like a it's, it's a circle of movement. It's, it's like a 360, really. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you, you're out, but you're still <sighs> – and I'm trying to figure out a way to say this to where, I mean, I get it. Um, you know, supervision. I, I get that that portion of it, but to also to still hold them to a standard of having to pay something. It's like you're you're releasing somebody, but what about if they can't find a job? You know, and they they're required to pay the mm-hmm. fifty dollars. So what what happens then? You know. Well, we have resources in place that. Aid in the system, or aid in, in, in placing individuals for employment. Uh, and if they are unable, unable to gain employment or be gainfully employed, mm-hmm. there are methods and in, in, in things in, in the system that are designed to assist fees, but they may exempt a certain amount of months of fees in order for them to get on their feet. So the money is important. It is important. However, there mm-hmm. are ways around not paying the money. Um, if the individual is unable to due to his inability to work or their inability to find employment. Interesting. But it do give leeway in some aspects. Mm-hmm. So then how would a person find out about that? How, how would they find out that there is some type of assistance that is provided for them? Is that something that is really this, explained this, to this, them? Or are you... no, yeah, this... Huh? No, well, <laughs> there, there goes, there goes the, the bad part of it in regards to you know, verbiage, because most time they won't know until they violate. And the word violate in itself, you know, there are a lot of people to say, "Hey, I violated. How did I violate when I wasn't able to work? I wasn't able to provide an income to you." But it is a form of violation because you have twelve and twelve conditions which you must comply with when you are placed on supervision, and one of them is to uh, satisfy your monetary obligations. Uh, probation, parole, as well as a court fine. For every indictment that goes in front of a judge, like say you, you, you're indicted on five charges, for every indictment, that's $125 each indictment. So you're already walking out of court with a $500 fine that's owed to the court if you have five charges, and then you already owe uh, five years of, of, of $50 a month payments to the state of South Carolina. So, you know, you're talking $3,500 already owed to the state of South Carolina. It's that, it's that fair. 
So you're paying somebody basically to supervise you. Correct. You're paying someone to supervise you. You're paying someone to, some people call it adult babysit, but it's actually assist you in, in, in fixing your life or assist you in performing your life in a positive manner. That's what, that's what poses, you know, the purpose of it is. Um, but so most people, you it? it's like, no, if you walk, hmm? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm saying it's not as if you walk in the door and you tell me that you're unemployed. Well, I say, hey, don't worry about it. The fees. No. Uh, well, at that time, I'll refer you to different locations to see if you can become employed. If you can't, um, next time you see me, I'll ask you what steps have you taken to become employed, you know, things of that nature. And then as the months pass and, of course, the fees begin to, to compile and you have an arrearage, then I, I may say, well, hey, let's see what we can do to alleviate some of these fees. But at that, by that point, it's already in a violation status. So it's something that has to be addressed with a, a, a hearing officer or a higher up within the agency. I just don't see that as, I mean, to me, it, to me, it feels like I'm trying to, I'm trying to choose my words wisely. Um, but it, okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it feels like it's a setup design for the person to fail in a sense. I don't know. What, what do you think about that, Minister Denise? I would say it's definitely, it's definitely intentional, and it's definitely set up so that our folks fail. One of the most outrageous things to me when I first got deeply involved in um, criminal justice reconstruction work was the fact that, or decarceration work, was the fact that I was talking to a lot of folks who are on probation and or, or on parole, and I was finding out from some of the parole officers that they get bonuses when their people violate. So how what? is it that we've set them for, yeah, they get bonuses when their people recidivize. They're getting bonuses in Erie County, um, and this is something that was, said to me from parole officers, like they get bonuses, they get incentives. And so then why would we do the work to make sure that people successfully stay out of the carceral system if I'm going to receive a bonus if you go back into the carceral system? How invested am I in your success? Absolutely. Or am I not invested at all? Yeah, that's a sabotage mission. So is it the same, um, James, in South Carolina is what she's describing in New York? No, no, no. Okay. I can't attest to that. Uh, the actual mission is to reduce recidivism. And if you have individuals here, because I'm a supervisor here in, in Charleston, so if I have an individual that, that's constantly bringing violations to me on a consistent basis, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what have you done to mm-hmm. assist this individual in being successful? You know, that's my first right. question. You know, right. not, not, not what have they done wrong. My first question is what have you done to assist this individual in being successful. The reason I mm-hmm. ask that question is because you have you may have an individual that coming out of coming out of prison or just being sentenced to probation at thirty five years of age. Okay, the first thing I need to know is your level of education. So I can't walk into the room and, and start speaking in a certain term and you have no knowledge of what I'm speaking of. You know, so of course we need to meet on equal equal footing as to where I need to start with you. You know, so you can't just come in the room and throw out these conditions and these rules to these individuals and then expect them to comply and then say when they don't, 
okay, I'm going to violate you. How well did you explain the conditions to them? Did you advise them how they can be successful? You know, those are my questions. So in regards to being paid bonuses for for uh, reincarceration or recidivism, I can't get to that, not here. Right, right, right. Wow, that's well, that crazy because it definitely shouldn't be happening anywhere, right? Like that, that should right. never, ever be happening. A matter of fact, they should be giving them bonuses for just what you said, um, making sure that they're doing their job well and successfully helping these individuals hold on to being home and being a support to their families. Right. So let me ask you a question, James, because I know we, we talked about this before when you, know, when you were talking about um, probation and parole, and we talked about the differences, the, the age gap. I mean, you, you may have someone who has never, who's had basically things handed to them. They, they haven't had life to hit them the way some of, um, some of, some of the people who have been locked up in the past. Um, and so their view of life is going to be totally different. Um, and I'm just really wondering, what does the state do, or is it something that we can kind of suggest or some type of law that may need to be in place if it's not, that there is a certain amount of conditioning training that they have to go to, like a, a sensitivity, so that um, – I don't know that you can better see if they have a heart for this because even if there's a person who has had the white picket fence life and they haven't had life to slap them in the face, if they have a heart for what they're doing and a heart for people, then the way they interact with, you know, um, the people that are on parole, it would be totally different. So, do y'all have anything like that in place to where you can make sure? Um, and I mean, nothing is going to be 100. percent I mean, because you, we hire people and they bring their they bring the representative to the interview. Um, but I feel like if you take them through like a series of different things, training wise, then you're kind of you're able to see who really has a heart for the job versus um, someone who's taking a job and they've been mistreated, bullied, and now this is their opportunity to show up with their worst self versus their best self? That's a great question. Um, the agency puts in place training, of course, right. you know, in, an attempt to, in an attempt to alleviate all these issues. You know, they try to put in sensitivity training, um, you know, just, just anti-bullying. I mean, just so many trainings you try to put into place. And I think most of those, of course, are to protect the state. Most of those are mm-hmm. set up to protect the state and it's in itself to say, hey, if something goes wrong, I had it in policy that I trained James on sensitivity training. So I'm hands off if he did something opposite of what I trained him on. Okay? But in regards to and it goes back to a little bit of what we talked about like a couple weeks ago about counseling for the for law enforcement officers in itself. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's going on in my personal life? You know, what's going on in my personal life may affect how I do my job. And law enforcement, that's, that's something that really shouldn't happen. But guess what? We can't. We, we got to be real with ourselves. It, it happens. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, what happens in my personal life? Well, you know, if I'm dealing with an individual who's a child molester, hey, was I ever molested as a child? Okay, I'm going to fix you because everything I'm mad about, it ain't right. you, but you're the closest thing I could be, you know, certain things like that. Right. We don't know. We, we, we'll never know, you know, because those questions aren't asked. And then, if you, like you said, you send your representative in and, 
Oh, you were bullied as a child. Here comes this guy. You you say, oh, he needs help or whatever. I'm gonna fix him now. That's my chance to get back. So a lot of those questions you don't know until it's too late. And I hit get that as an answer because that's the reality of, of being a law enforcement or any any law, military anything. You know, right. sometimes you don't know until it's too late. But you know what's funny? That that and when you were saying that, gosh, it took me back to a moment of jury duty. Before you get a chance to sit on that jury, now isn't this interesting? Before you get a chance to sit on that jury, they're going to ask you basically if 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 you can actually be partial to the situation or have you had because because the the attorneys is trying to make sure that this person doesn't have a bias. So, my God, if we can do that when you're talking about juries, and even though people may lie, and you don't really know until someone gets in there and dig into that person's um past, you know, hey, no, with juror number such and such and such, you find out about it, you know, hey, okay, we can remove them. But, man, that that is something. Um, wow. I, I don't know. I, you know, I don't even know if it's possible, but before someone is assigned um, this particular person that's going on parole and you know what that person has been charged for, I think each time the um, – the parole officer needs to be evaluated just like how you would do a juror to make sure that this person is not violated based upon the parole officer's past experience. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you in this, in this aspect. That won't happen. And I'm just, and I'm just, <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest with you, with you guys. Because <sighs> this, this, in Charleston County alone, you may have 3,000 offenders. Okay, mm-hmm. you may have three thousand offenders and sixteen agents. So you breaking it down and just you know different aspects. Say okay, this individual, this individual supervises one hundred and twenty uh, individuals on supervision. You know, all walks of life. You know, and, and here I can't stop and say, hey, does does he or she fit the criteria to supervise John Doe when I have no one else? You know, and it's. And it's and it's sad, but that's the reality of, of some of these places in regards, you know, when you put someone on probation, you have the individuals who are on probation that outnumber the probation agents. You outnumber right. the individuals that are willing to even do this job. So to put another screen on their ability mm-hmm. to do the job would only would only cause you to lose more agents. Man, y'all, we, you know, we can bring up these points all day long and talk about them and try to find, you know, I believe in trying to be a person that none of us are perfect. But as we see the issues that's going on, trying to create some type of a solution. So, man, it's like now you even have more. This is why it's really crucial and critical that in all of these type of jobs like this, mental, mental health needs to be a necessity. It needs to be a requirement that you have to go and talk with someone because I believe that would help to sort through for now let me ask you this. What about if if an agent realizes that this particular person, this is gonna create a trigger for me because I was molested when I was younger or something happened to a family member of mine. They killed the drunk driver. I don't believe that I can supervise them fairly. Have you had a situation that a person has actually stepped up and said, hey, I don't believe I can give them a fair opportunity. If that happened, what would y'all do or have you actually experienced something like that? 
if 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 that happened, of course we would try to we would try. We would move the kids from that individual and and make sure that that individual doesn't have cases of that nature. For one, mm-hmm. why I probably most likely won't happen. Uh, the new sentence I mean, a couple weeks ago. You know, it'll show vulnerability. And once you once you show your vulnerability as a law enforcement <laughs> officer, then here comes here comes the scrutiny. Here comes the lack of promotion. Okay, I got to take he or she gun away from them because they, they appear to be unstable. You know what what's going to set them off next? So it it it, it shows vulnerability, and it, it, and I guarantee you, you know, most agents won't our officers won't show that level of vulnerability to have others scrutinize their mental health. And and that is so jacked up because if a person is trying to be honest with where they're at, it seems like you would want that versus a lawsuit coming in, especially when this is the this is the system that that gets paid off of off of doing this. You know what I'm saying? So it seems like I, I understand. It, it's, we're creating a situation even for the parole and probation officers. We're setting them yeah. up for failure also because. If it's, it, it should be applauded instead of looking at looking like it's, it's you're, you're being vulnerable. No, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be truthful to you that I don't think that I can fairly supervise this person, and I'm trying to keep the state out of a lawsuit and myself. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. oh boy, Lord, the system, the system, the system. And we have so many organizations out here, you know, that deal with these different things, but we have got to find a way. And, Denise, you know, I know you, you guys do a lot over there as well, but um, as we bring about these issues and highlight them, I'm hoping that somebody else, because I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. We will not have the answer for every situation that is going on. But I feel like by having these conversations, we create a space to where we're making people aware of, hey, here's the issue here. Here's where something is broken. We need somebody to fix it because all of us are not called to the same thing. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, with this platform, I'm just hoping that someone has an ear to hear and their heart is pricked because this is what they're called to do. Make sense? Hello? Was that for me? It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I also want to make sure that people are doing the work to, um, again, humanize, right? Like Mm -hmm. humanize folks. Because if we realize that we are all human beings and none of us are above restoration or redemption, all Mm -hmm. of us have made mistakes in our life that we wish we had not made, right? And so we want to make sure that once folks, once an individual has been to court, got their sentencing, is told whatever it is that they need to do to make right what's been wrong, right, like that mm-hmm. we're doing everything in our power to set that person up for success, especially right. in, the, in the instance that that person has spent time incarcerated. We want to make sure that these people – can get their basic needs met and that everybody, including their probation or their parole officer, is on the team of making sure that we are setting them up for success, understanding that economically that's what right. makes sense and for community that's what's best. Absolutely. Absolutely, because, you know, you, you made a key point. Um, because I think if people realize, you know, I can think of some things that I have done in my life that, guess what, it could have landed me in jail myself, you know? 
but the difference is I didn't get caught. That that happens to the bulk of us because all of us didn't make good decisions all our lives. You know what I'm saying? Um, anything, right. you could have been at the wrong place at the wrong time and boom, here it goes. And, and this could now be your story, you know? And so we have to understand that we all have, have been at some point maybe just one step away from something that could have caused you to to be in to, to be in jail, you know? So we, we have to, just like you said, man, you got to bring that human aspect to it. Um, ah, I don't know. And and I try not to get frustrated, but these, these are issues that we, we do have to talk about. Um, and I, you know, I, I just think that in the jobs, if we just begin to make things more mandatory that you definitely have to um that you definitely have to have some some mental health um you need to see a counselor you need to talk about these things i really believe that it will make a difference i really do i really do i do oh, man. man i will man, tell man. you sorry you hit on something major with that mental health component um, and also, like, what does continued investment look like for individuals who hold these positions, ongoing training, ongoing development, especially when we talk about things like bias? Um, because although all of us would love to claim that we are not biased, we all carry bias, and bias right. is not always a bad thing, right? Like, bias Absolutely. is something we learn through lived experience, but that doesn't mean that we don't need to check it. Because mm-hmm. each individual is an individual, and we need to treat them as such. So just because they trigger something in our bias doesn't make it true for them. And so what does an ongoing to commitment for training and development for folks who are in these positions as parole, parole and probation officers, what does that look like so that we can also make sure that we're setting them up for That's success good. and reminding them that the people Absolutely. that they serve in their position are human beings with lives and families and responsibilities, and we need to be treating them as such, right, as well as building um, some anti-racism techniques into mm-hmm. our recruiting and our interviewing processes, right? Like, how are we screening for that stuff? Right, right. I mean, and, it goes, and you know what? And if they look at some of the things that they do with the jurors, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, we really need to screen these things. I mean, Man, I mean, it's like you you got a failed system all the way around um, in, in some aspects of it. And I'm not saying everything about the whole system is bad because, you know, you have the right idea, um, but I just feel like it does need to be a lot more of coaching and helping people when they get out of jail to stay out, well, prison, to stay out versus um just not really thinking this thing out because I I think that's really taxing to know that hey I'm getting ready to get out but I got all of this on me because now I got to pay this I got to pay this money every month you know understand that and that's yeah. the, that's that's the biggest thing I mean something you said earlier is something I I used to say when I personally supervise individuals I always would tell them you know I'm one mistake from being in your seat so I right. understand you know how difficult it is to avoid the system if you weren't given certain opportunities mm-hmm. and you aren't placed in a position to make a mistake and bounce back from that mistake in a positive way, how you can end up in the system and continuously remain in the system without the knowledge of how to get out. And so right. um, it, it is difficult sometimes when individuals get in because 
they, they only go back and forth within the system at different ages, different phases, different parts of it, and and, 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 and no one ever taught them how to get out of the system and, and stay out of the system and how to, quote, unquote, become a uh, tax-paying, law-abiding citizen. If that's, <laughs> if, that even, if that's even a fair term for anyone. Right. Who's really law-abiding nowadays, you know? So. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I want to hit on one other thing because I know um, you both have obligations that you got to get to tonight. So we're going to have to wrap up a little sooner. But one of the things that I kept thinking about, man, was that, again, you have people who work in the Department of Corrections. And just as, and I think you were the one who said it, James, you know, they've done 20 years. They just did a 20-year bid. Literally, they have been in prison for 20 years. Where is the help for these people? Because you can't tell me that you can walk away from a job like that, Department of Corrections, and you don't have some type of PTSD from behind that, man. There's no way that you can convince me of that, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. I believe that as well. There's no way. There's no way. Yeah. I, I mean, I never thought about it like that until you said it. No way. Yeah. No way. And I always say there's no way, you know, even if a street officer, you know, there's no right. way to walk away from that. And, I, right. and, and the statistics show that most, most street officers, you know, who retire from, from, from full service, most of them, you know, a lot of them, they don't commit suicide because of, the, because of the aspect of their lives in which they experience while being a law enforcement officer. So right. it, it is a very difficult profession for those that are unable to express themselves mentally. Man, we have got well, to figure is. out a way to to help to to help people. I mean, because here it is: there's a shortage when it comes to that field, and then you get people in there. But how are we trying to help their mental health? How are we helping them stay healthy mentally, physically, and spiritually and emotionally? You know, absolutely. But I think Tyra, like. You, you say find a way, but it starts with conversations like these Absolutely. and educating people. And then it starts, again, with that grassroots organizing. How are we educating, activating, and equipping and energizing people to get involved in these policies and procedures, right? Like people equal power. And so how are we getting people energized and involved in these things where they're having research action meetings with government officials and saying, this is what we want and why, this is why. Right? How mm-hmm. are we pushing for things, whether it takes getting something on a ballot, whether it takes legislation or policy, mm-hmm. whether it takes getting new procedures implemented. If we have enough people mm-hmm. power, we can move these things because we have to remember that government officials and elected officials and government employees, they are all people who are supposed to work for us, the tax-paying right. citizens of their area. And so we have to hold them accountable. So I will say the what is definitely conversations like this, but then mm-hmm. creating and cultivating spaces where people can have the conversations of if not this, then what? And now right. how do we advocate and push for that what? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you just summed it right up. Um, look, again, I want to thank both of you. Um, I truly appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. I'm going to let, because I know Denise has, um, you can tell them a lot more about your organization and what they do, but as we go around, the one thing that I'm going to say 
And listen, I'm, I'm going to say this quickly, and then I'm going to let you go. I'm going to pass the mic on to you, um, James. Again, I said this when we begin this segment. Do not wait until this situation knocks on your door. Via It could be you, a family member, your child. Don't wait until then to get involved. If you hear what we're talking about and it pricks your heart in some type of way, we have got to stop thinking that it's somebody else's problem and it's not ours. It's all of our problems. And any type of unjust that happens to one person, oh, you may think that it does not directly affect you, but if you don't get involved at some point, it will knock on your door in some shape or form. So I'm going to pass it on to you, James. You're right. And um, to sum up what you're saying, you know, the system in itself, probation and parole, was originally designed to assist individuals with reacclimating uh, to society. And it has a bad name at this point because it has not done what it was designed to do mm-hmm. um, in its full capacity. But to, for those who have been impacted by, by probation or parole, if you've been placed on it or your family members have placed on it, you know, don't don't just settle for what's being told to you. You know, research for yourself and understand what it is, you know, that you're dealing with. And understand that just because you were given a sentence to deal with is not a life sentence. You know, that there there's expungements, there are pardons, there are things that can restore your your rights. But you have to research and have the knowledge of it because every day won't be given to you plenty of probation or parole even. Despite the fact that you believe that knowledge may be passed on to you that way, it won't always happen. <laughs> So you must also, you know, do your own homework. Don't just sign papers without asking questions. You know, right. once you sign that original sentence sheet, a lot of people are just happy to walk out of court as a free individual. But you are mm-hmm. not really free because you signed an agreement, which is a contract. Anytime you put your name on something, it comes a contract. You signed a contract with that state stating that you will abide by whatever conditions that state has in place for you. So truly understand what you're signing, ask questions. Don't just use the model of being free as your idea for, you know, signing something. So when you right. agree to something, make sure you understand what you agree to. I understand everybody don't have the intellectual level to understand what they're signing, but ask questions. That's good. That's good. Denise, my sister, what you got for us? Again, um, one, thank you so much for initiating and inviting us into this conversation it's powerful. These conversations need to happen. And so what I want to encourage people to do is if you're looking for ways to get involved, again, if you're in New York, Western New York specifically, you can reach out to me at Denise at voicebuffalo.org. Um, but also feel free to look up our national federations, look up Faith in Action, right? Look up Live Free, see the work that they're doing. And if not them, then somewhere get involved, even if it's just as simple as making sure that people in your community, family, immediate circle are registered voters and that they're Mm -hmm. going to go out there and understand the power of the vote that they're making. But remember, to do nothing is still to do something, right? Mm -hmm. And so make your something count. Don't just be quiet and don't be still. Don't allow them to continue to suppress your voice and take their power from you. Step into your power. 
even if it's as simple as making sure your own circle and you yourself are voting. But if you want to take it a step further, please plug into an organization and get involved with these initiatives so that we can write the policy and the legislation and the reform that will dismantle um, this corruption that we're seeing in the injustice system. Thank you. Absolutely. 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 Um, You guys, it has been a pleasure. Um, To my listeners, please uh, hit me up on social media. If you have different topics or something that you want to hear discussed, um, hit me up. Let me know. Um, And we'll make sure that we get it on at one of these months. We have 12 months in the year. We can take a topic one at a time for that entire month. So if you would, you know, if you have anything, please let me know. Again, this is Pressure Points Unpacked. I am your host, Tyra Little, and we are live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, Be blessed. Once again, I thank you both for sticking it out with me this month. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's already done. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.